Hey there, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for joining us on The Great Exchange, a podcast dedicated to looking in the world through gospel glasses. My name is Matthew David Halleck, and right beside me, literally on my right hand, is Nick Seminovich. How you doing? I'm doing very well, Matt. It, You're in the place of honor today, my hey, hey, I've been elevated <laughs> to a... Seated at my right hand. Oh, that's great. That's great. It's nice to be here. Yeah. Nice to be seated on this throne. Yeah, well, it's extraordinarily hot up here it is in still uh, hot. my office. Yeah, it's... We got to work on that. Yeah, you know what? It's hard to get cold air to travel three floors, or technically four. four. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's coming from four. the basement, yeah. It's coming from the basement, so... Yeah, it's it's a difficult task considering that cool air sinks and hot air rises. So yeah. that that's something that is difficult. Um, but nevertheless, happy to be here. Happy to do this again with you. Um, and we're we're happy to press on in our Bible study series. We're walking through the book of Genesis. You betcha. Um, but just a reminder: before we actually get into the subject. Check out our website, thegreatexchange.ca. We have a bunch of episodes over there. You can check out show notes. We have a bunch of materials that are linked to those episodes that can help you do some deep dives if you're a wonk and you really want to get into <laughs> uh, into some of the stuff that we're talking to in, in greater depth. Um, it, it also has a ton of the other episodes we've done on um, walking through Genesis, um, some interviews we've we've done. I'm thinking about we we did a episode on unionism with uh, Dr. Sean Ritt, or Sean Rittenauer, um from the Mises Institute and Grove City College, and that was a really cool one. Uh, we've talked to Brian Sove about singing psalms to the glory of God, and we've had some really interesting topics when it comes to uh, you know COVID nineteen and you know, what we've learned about bodily autonomy during this pandemic um, and how that relates to the pro-life movement. And then also just recently, um, some of my commentary on the Every Child Matters movement and the history of residential schools and, mm-hmm. and looking forward in a spirit of truth and reconciliation as we um, can only do so if we're reconciled to the God of all truth. So if those interest you, Jeff, definitely jump over to thegreatexchange.ca. Go over there. We also have some merchandise that, Lord willing, I know we've been saying it for a time now. Yeah. It's a little bit slower. It's summer. Everybody's kind of got things going on. But uh, hopefully we will have that stuff for you sooner rather than later. But with that laid out before us, Nick, could you... As you are so apt at doing, lay out the context for the verses we're going to be discussing today on the program. Yes. So here we find ourselves in Jacob's return back to his homeland after he spent 20 plus, or I guess 20 years with Laban, his uncle, in the land of Haran. And we saw in last week's episode, after he had been reconciled with Laban, that Now, hearing the word that he was coming into the presence of Esau, and Esau had 400 men with him, he separated out, he found a way to kind of provide a gift or a present for Esau to try and bury the hatchet, as it were. Could have been a literal hatchet, because Esau was very angry for what Jacob had done to him. But we see here 
that they were reckon or they would be uh, reconciled hopefully by this gift. And then we saw as Jacob separated out into those two camps, we saw that there was that wrestling that he t- that took place between him and God in the wilderness when he was separated out from all of his belongings, all that he had possessed when he was there by himself. And God blessed him and renamed him Israel instead of Jacob. And in that, we saw a wonderful picture of the gospel again, of how Christ, through his intercession, through his mediation, reconciles us to God and how we inherit a great blessing through his work. And that kind of gets us into where we're at in chapter 33, and we're hoping to go through the entire chapter in this week's episode. It's only 20 verses, so shouldn't take us too long, but we've been known to take a very long time with three or four verses. So yeah, exactly. And and we're, we're the type to you know if if we only have to cover twenty verses, we'll still spend the same amount of time covering yes. 20, 20 verses. Uh, but nevertheless, yeah, as you make mention, we're hopefully to, hopefully going to get through all of chapter thirty three, which is twenty verses today. And as we do on the program, we'll take it kind of section by section here as we try and you know, walk through the test or text in a sort of systematic fashion. Mm -hmm. So let us get into it with that context before us. We now see that this meeting that was planned for prepared for is now going to come to pass between Jacob and his long lost brother Esau. So picking up verse one in chapter 33 And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present or the, the present my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me and because i have enough thus he urged him and he took it 
Yeah, so here we get into now the meeting of the two long-separated brothers. Uh, and we have to remember that when they were first separated out, it's because Esau wanted to kill Jacob. And when Jacob left to go to see Laban or spend time with Laban until Esau's anger had abated, he never heard that word back from his mother to know for certain that, okay, Esau's not angry at you anymore. He doesn't want to kill you. It's fine. You can come home now. He never heard. After 20 years, he never heard back. And we talked about that last week in last week's podcast where we said, okay, Jacob has ample reason to fear Esau because not only is he coming to meet him, but he's come with 400 men. Yeah, with a regiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a small army coming with him. Yeah. A pretty big army too. Yeah. But well, considering that yeah. he, he just has a bunch of women and children <laughs> and flocks. Yeah. Yeah. So so he's not faring well in terms of waging war against Esau. Not that that's his intention here either. But we see that Jacob in verse one here, Jacob lifts up his up his eyes and looks and sees Esau coming with the four hundred men. So he's seeing the reality that there's a very high potential here that Esau is still furious with him and still wants to kill him. So he does something wise. And we talked about this in last week's podcast. Again, he separated out and presented a gift for Esau, but then he also did this wonderful thing of separating out his family as well. But in the separation, he kind of shows again, the favoritism that he has towards specific people in his family above those who are also he part of his family. He saves the best for last. Yes. And that is that is what Jacob does here. He puts all the servants and their children in front because they're not as important to him. Then he puts Leah with her children. It's kind of nice that he puts Leah second and not first. <laughs> so because when we read through the story of when she was bearing children, she continually complained to God or had a being hated, being hated. Right. So it's, it's nice to see that she is valued above the servants and the children that were born by those servants to Jacob. So it's nice to see that there's some respect and love given to her in this. And then lastly, we see Rachel and Joseph. And the reason why he does this again is so that there's the possibility that if Esau's coming to kill him, and destroy all that he has because he doesn't know what's happened with the gift that's gone on before him. It could have been taken as plunder. But we see now Jacob, as he goes to meet him, if he is to die, then at least there's a good chance that those at the very back of the parade of people here have a chance to escape with their lives. Secondly, a good probability, but the next one's definitely not, right? <laughs> so, so the servants and their children, there's a high probability they're not going to survive. If Jacob is going to be killed by Esau and he's just coming to kill everybody. Because again, we have to remember that Esau has in his mind, at least he did at one point in time, he had in his mind that the blessing was his. All that was to come to Jacob was supposed to be his. So by destroying all that would be in his company, he's actually showing, well, this is rightfully mine. You don't deserve to have it either. So there's a way of being wise and also in how Jacob approaches this whole situation shows once again, how he truly depends on God, but doesn't just say, well, whatever, whatever happens, happens. 
There's wisdom involved in how we live in our day-to-day lives and how we act accordingly with what God has given us. Mm-hmm. And, and no doubt as well, he was arranging his family in such a way too that if Esau came in peace, it's a way that he could present uh, his his various yeah. wives and their, their their offspring as well. Um, you, you would probably want to do it in the reverse role, though, if you're presenting. It's like, this is yeah, my wife whom yeah. I love, and then these are also some yes. other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, which which shows you, um, despite him going forward, lifting up his eyes, going forward in confidence because of what God's called him to. In fact, like you've made mention, he's gone on this trip, not because he's heard word of peace with Esau, but that he's heard the call and command of God mm-hmm. to go back to the land. So he walks forward in confidence, even in this, but still there's that little bit of Jacob that holds back a little bit, a little bit, even though he goes forward, he pays homage to his elder brother um, in, in a very uh, near Eastern way, you know, bowing seven times before him, which really, um, you know, is again, expressing his humility um, his meekness towards his brother uh, over and over again. He, he has referred to him as Lord. He set gifts before him that again, he might um, shower gifts on a, the greater. Um, and that's how his posture has been this whole time. Um, so you see him move out for it forward in front of his, um, his family. And then, go to embrace his brother. But before he could even get to his brother, you see a glimpse of what we see in, um, in the gospel of Luke in, in, in chapter 15 with the parable of the prodigal son, Mm, you know, I, this is what really came to mind when I saw how Esau embraces his brother, which gets to a little bit of a deeper point. Right. Um, and it's a point that will tie well into, exactly how Jacob addresses him. But in here, you see man who is alienated from a picture of man who's alienated from God because of his sinful ways at enmity with God, yet just as in the parable of the the prodigal son, despite his wretchedness, despite his wickedness, the father comes in and embraces him. And you see a little glimpse of that in this story, mm-hmm. which I have no doubt in my mind when Christ was using this illustration, his hearers would have thought harken back, back yeah. harken back to, to this story, this account yeah. of, of an instance of great reconciliation mm-hmm. by two warring parties. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we we see here, and I think it's beautiful that these these long separated brothers embrace in in a spirit of reconciliation, um, and yeah, they weep together, they love uh, love each other, they kiss each other, they they show great affection for one another, and then they get about being kind, <laughs> you know, uh, sharing niceties. And um, Esau, no doubt, um, is very surprised that the great horde 
that Jacob has. Yeah. You know, just as Jacob was surprised at the great horde that Esau had. And just, it's interesting to notice the difference between the people who accompany Jacob and the people who accompany Esau. Esau is a mighty man of war, a hunter, and he comes armed with a band. Jacob is a meeker shepherd, and he comes with a flock and with his family. And he shows great care, as you may mention, for dealing with that flock and that family. Mm-hmm. Um, and sends them before him as a gift, but then also, as you said, arranges the family in such a way to provide them protection. And we'll see as we move down in the text as well, he's continually got an eye set towards providing for his family. So he sets a really good covenantal example in that way. Yeah, and you can really see how it plays out here as well. especially when you get into verse five and following through verse 11, when what you read earlier, when Esau sees now the company that is coming behind Jacob, he asks that question well, who are these with you? And Jacob's response again shows how he's submitting to his older brother, even though he is rightfully the one to whom Esau is to submit to. So we see that Jacob says the children whom God has graciously given your servant, right? Mm -hmm. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Likewise, or Leah likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And lastly, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. So they're following a good example in Jacob and how he, in that spirit of reconciliation with his brother, and showing that servitude to him, saying, well, you're the older brother. I did bad to you, and I'm going to show my humility here and bow to you. I'm going to show that I'm, I, though I've inherited much through God's blessing, none of it's deserved. And even if we are reconciled here, it's undeserved as well. It's all a gracious gift from God. And so Esau sees this great company and he says, well, what do you mean by all the company that I met? Right on his way to meet Jacob, he met with several different groups of flocks. What was it? I think it was five hundred yeah. different animals, <laughs> male yeah. and female, able to breed and reproduce. And he questions, "Well, what is all the company that I met? What did you mean by all of that that I met beforehand?" Mm-hmm. And Jacob said, "Well, it's to find favor in your sight, to find favor in the sight, not of my brother, of my lord." Again, he's showing that deference of you are truly the one that I need to be reconciled to because I wronged you. I am in service to you once again. And just as Jacob had hoped that it would be a means of abating Jacob or Esau's wrath, mm-hmm. it actually did that. Yeah. Right. It, he actually carried out a wise plan through the gracious wisdom of God given to him. So that when Esau came to Jacob, he would be like, okay, there has been this big group of flock, this group of flock, this group of flock, and they're all because Jacob, like, this is weird. Um, But in him receiving this gift, this present from Esau, Esau says, well, 
Well, I actually don't need what your gift is because I have enough. God has actually provided for me. Not that he says God has provided for me, but he says, I have enough, my brother, keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob wisely, wisely says, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. And I love how Jacob says this, because like Jacob towards God is like Jacob towards Esau prior to reconciliation. They're at war with one another. Sinful man is at odds with God, and God is at odds with man. And this is the case for us in our day and age too. This isn't just something, you know, 4,000 years or 3,000 years ago in, in, you know, the Middle East. This is, this happens throughout all of human history since the fall. Man is separated from God and at enmity with God and needs to be reconciled and find forgiveness with him. But that can't come without the one whom you've offended being gracious and merciful to you and forgiving you of your iniquity and the sin and transgression that you've committed against him, right? If we've sinned against God, we have a debt with him. And there's no way for us to physically pay it off. Mm -hmm. It takes that person, in this instance, God, to say, I will forgive all of your debts, even though you're greatly indebted towards me, and I will forgive you. Now, the wonderful thing about the gospel is, is that God doesn't just say, well, we'll just forget about it. It's fine. Like bygones be bygones, you know, time heals all wounds. He says, no, there's an actual debt that needs to be paid for, and I'm going to pay for it. And he does that through sending his son in the likeness of human flesh to die for our sins. And actually, as Corinthians said, or not Corinthians, Colossians says, he took our debt and nailed it to the cross so that we would be free from all the penalty due to it. And in Esau coming and reconciling with Jacob here, there's that forgiveness that he is offering. And what we see happen here in return for that is Jacob offering restitution to Esau for taking away his blessing underhandedly. Mm -hmm. Question 78. What is forbidden in the ninth commandment? Answer. The ninth commandment forbiddeth whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. Do you love listening to The Great Exchange? You can subscribe to our podcast on any one of these podcast platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or Apple Podcasts, and have two engaging episodes delivered to your mobile device each week. Our midweek message covers a myriad of topics and teaches us to look at them all through gospel glasses. And our Scripture Saturday episode is just that, an opportunity to study the Bible one passage of Scripture at a time. Miss an episode? Visit our website, thegreatexchange.ca, and you will find the complete back catalog of our episodes. And don't be shy. We love to hear from you, our listeners. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram, or if you're not social media savvy, send us an email to thegreatexchangepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you all for joining in our ministry as we help you look at the world through gospel glasses. Yeah, no, I think you make a great point. Like, it's something very important that we understand the principle of what happened here. 
when we're talking about reconciliation with man, as you've made mention so profoundly, Jacob wrestles with God. Jacob's reconciled to the God of his fathers before he's reconciled to his brother, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the pattern of reconciliation. We must be reconciled first with God before we are reconciled to our fellow man, right? We love God first, then we can know how to properly love our our brothers, yeah. you know, as ourselves. Um, and I can't help but see that in the weird, awkward phrase that is kind of used within this dialogue that it's it's getting to exactly what you're talking about. Because when they're going back and forth here, Esau saying, no, 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 I got enough. I don't need all that your stuff. And Jacob's like, no, 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 no. Take, this is my restitution. I'm paying it forward to you. I owe you this. I, I took your birthright. Um, he's, he's pleading with him and he says, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God and you have accepted me. So he's not getting really weird here. Esau is not some demi urge. He's, he's not some divine man, but what we have to harken back to what has just come before this. Jacob has met with God. God is accommodated to Jacob condescended in a theophany and wrestled with him. And though Jacob met God in, in that way, came face to face with the dreaded face of God. God showed mercy to him. In that same way, the actions of his brother Esau are analogous. Though he has right to be angry at him, to put him to death. He is showing great mercy to him. And yeah. that is what that phrase explains in light of what comes before. Yeah. It can be a tricky one if we're not understanding it within the in the context. But that is the turn of phrase that is yeah. being used by Jacob. And the wonderful thing is that as Jacob says, accept the blessing that has brought to you. Why is it? Well, it's because God has dealt graciously with me and I have enough too. This this isn't that I'm giving you from all that I have to try and reconcile. And God has been stingy with me. God has been abundantly gracious to Jacob, even though he's been manipulative and deceptive throughout most of his life. God has still dealt graciously with him. Yet God is, and Jacob are reconciled one to another, ultimately through the work of Christ. And here, as Jacob extends this gift, this present, this offering to Esau, as the end of verse 11 says, he took it. He took the offering from Jacob. Thus, he accepts the gift and therefore all debts are cleared up, right? There's nothing the left. The is rubbed, yeah. wiped clean. Yeah, exactly. You've accepted this gift, mm-hmm. which means we're good. Yeah. We are, Restitution is yeah, made. There's, there's nothing left owing from me to you. And there's nothing that you owe me now. We are square. And now we can we can now both live in harmony with one another. Mm-hmm. And that's what we see is in the heart of Esau here as well, as we move on in the text. 
Yeah, and before we move on, I just want to point out a motif that I noticed in the actions of Jacob. I've already called him a picture of the good shepherd. You made mention of something very important, that though he has the claim to the godly line, though he has the birthright, though he has the blessings of his father, he proceeds to serve Mm -hmm. Esau. He thinks himself better he thinks uh, Esau better than himself. Yes. Yeah. And I can't help but see that as being a picture of the good shepherd who came not to earth, not to be served, but to serve. serve. And who in Philippians, it says, didn't even account equality with God as something to be grasped. And this is something that I want to highlight in Philippians Chapter 2, verses 3 through 8, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death on a cross. Mm -hmm. So that is the ultimate picture of being a good shepherd, and being a gracious servant, that the God who created all things, the God of the cosmos who owns all things, condescended into creation, took on humble flesh as a meek and mild-mannered servant, that he could reconcile lowly, sinful man to himself. That is a beautiful picture of the gospel. It it is, and it just highlights these points one again once again from this story looking at the life of Jacob again how the indicative always comes before the imperative right he has been accepted in God's sight and now and he has been blessed and he's going to serve God by obeying him and now in the same way he's going to do the same with Esau now that he's been reconciled to him as well so there's this interesting um parallel line that goes between that sort of storyline and then how it lines up with ours as well. How, and this is something maybe we have to think about as well. How can we not extend forgiveness to a brother or sister or somebody in our lives who's offended us or sinned against us greatly when the God that we've offended on a daily basis in myriads of ways, countless times each day, extends forgiveness and reconciliation to us? freely for his name's sake and for his glory how do we hold back that forgiveness to somebody who's offended us we should be very willing to and free to do that because as kind of the old saying goes like you can't give what you haven't received well if you have received it then you're free to give it if we've received grace we're free to give grace if we haven't received grace we're never going to give it yeah and if we've received super abundant grace 
we should be able to give How much grace more? super abundantly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's something we should really take from this text and all of what scripture gets to as well. It's significantly pointing us to Christ and the redemptive work that he's procured on our behalf. But there's always legs that show itself once that's been received into our hearts, once that's been implanted and we've been regenerated. And that is a life of faithful, humble obedience to God and his good commands. And we see that in Jacob's actions here as well. Mm -hmm. Let's pick up in verse 12 and move down throughout the text here. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of that place is called Succoth. So here we see, after being reconciled, they are dispersed from one another. Yes, and that and that's not what Esau had hoped for here. Uh, because he says in verse 12, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. So he's fully intending now, we've been reconciled. Okay, we're good to go. Why don't you come and stay with me? Mm -hmm. Right? And... There's a lot of different things going on in this text. There's a lot of principles we can take from it. I think for one, we can look at this text and go, well, Jacob has in some sort of mind, frame of mind here, well, the godly are to be separated from the ungodly, mm -hmm. right? There's supposed to be a separation, a clear separation between the two. Well, okay, well, I'm not really going to go with, I, I'll, I'll just go with you, but I'm not really going to go with you. I'm just kind of saying the loud part loud, but the quiet part quiet, Right. Uh, because, and also he was not commissioned to go back to Seir per se, but to, yeah, to go back to Bethel and, and specifically. This, yeah, right? and this is something that I think a lot of us face, whether we're willing to admit it or not, is that we know we have full reconciliation with God. We know we can be reconciled, but then there's those awkward moments where somebody says, "Well, hey, do you want to go do this?" And it's like. Uh, actually, no, like we try and make an excuse to not go along with it because, okay, maybe I've been reconciled to, you know, maybe a, a pagan, you know, friend or something like that. Mm. There was a, some sort of, you know, separation that happened and we became, or we, we were separated and then we came back and we were close friends again. Mm. And they said, well, hey, come and do that. And it's like, well, actually, no, like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna hang out at home tonight. Like, no, I don't know. I, but, but, you know, next time for sure, yeah, we'll go and hang out and do whatever, but I don't want to do it this time. And it's like, we're not willing to... Make our yes, yes, and our no's, no. Yeah, and, and show what our true commitments to God are and say, mm -hmm. straightforward and upfront and say, well, actually, no, I love you, Esau, and I'm glad that we're reconciled, but God has told me to go back 
to Beersheba, where I first left, or at least Bethel, where I set up that altar or that yeah, rock. Certainly the land of Canaan. Um, and also within it too, like I, I, there is no doubt he's trying to be kind to his brother yeah. and in, in letting him down gently, gently as it were, but in this way, not making clear his true uh, mission and purpose, um, which is a disservice to God himself and, and his brother Esau, yeah. and his brother as well. And that's the thing, because he says here, well, you go on ahead, I'll go slowly, and I'll meet you in Seir. Yeah, now, now it is important, um, and, and I'm thankful for having this big lethal weapon of an ESV uh, study Bible, because they did point out, too, that there is legitimacy in the fact he's... Jacob has come a long way in his journey. His he's with lots of livestock and his wives and children, the oldest of which isn't even 14, right? <laughs> it's it's a group of more feeble <laughs> bunch of kids and, and wives, yeah. And he's trying to be a good leader, good shepherd, um to his wives and his children, taking them at their own pace, um, it being very deferential, just the way he was with Esau. And the distance between a journey to Seir and to Succoth is quite a difference, right? In the ESV study Bible, it says there is a hundred mile journey to Seir. Succoth is only four miles away yeah. from where they're currently located. Yeah. So that's really important to keep in mind. He, certainly he's letting him down gently, but also he is trying to care for his, his house. And yeah. Succoth is a journey where they can get rest from their weariness from this journey. And you do see that that is, exactly what happens when Jacob gets to Succoth, they set up camp to rest for a while, to, to gather themselves, to, to rejuvenate their energy, right? Succoth meaning, uh, you know, it's like camp, a uh, land of tent, tent, you know, dwelling, um, that that's, that is Jacob's purpose in it. Um, <laughs> the tent by tents, I mean, booths, but, that is what he does. He lets him down easy. But I, I think it's important as well, as you've made mention, he does it in such a way that is a disservice to his call, which ends up disservicing himself and Esau as well. Yeah. And it tends to be in keeping with the spirit of Jacob, you know, n never going 100% in, at least not yet. Yeah. And, and that's shown in his response to... Esau's first request here and then in verse 15 where he says well leave, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me right mm -hmm. of the 400 men that I first came up maybe to destroy you yeah. <laughs> and Jacob says well what need is there let me find favor in the sight of my Lord so trust me right trust me I'm going to be a man of my word just believe me I'm going to come to you in Seir yeah but Esau does go back to Seir Jacob 
does take that short journey to Succoth. And instead of just temporary rest, resting, setting up a tent maybe just to recuperate, he builds a house and made booths for his livestock, right? So he, he sets up camp. He sets up like a farmhouse. Mm-hmm. And that has an intention not of continuing on your journey to the land where you're supposed to go, but there's something in that of saying, okay, this is far enough. I'm okay now. I've been reconciled. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. And this is far enough. Mm-hmm. Yes, but even then, it's still not a permanent dwelling. Yeah. Um, it, Which it, shows itself in the last part of the chapter yeah, here exactly, too, right? exactly. So as we get into verses 18 through 20 at the end of the chapter here, it says, And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is the land of Canaan, on his way f- from Padanaram, and he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Mm-hmm. So we see after a brief or after some time in um, Succoth, he moves on to Shechem uh, and he buys a plot of land in the land of Canaan, the land where Abraham dwelt amongst his enemies, um, just outside the city of Shechem. And he buys it for, uh, from Hamor, uh, Shechem's father. And he then sets up an altar for worship there. Um, And interestingly enough, this is where Abraham's also set up a, an altar before in in this place. And some commentators uh, pointed to the fact that the word um, erected an altar isn't the same word as built. So there's a very good chance that he uh, reassembled. Re- reassembled the altar that Abraham once mm. created for the worship of God, but then gave it this really special covenantal name, which points us back to the christening that happened in chapter 32, right? It's El Elohe Israel. So my God, the God of Israel. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful because though we understand in the arc of redemptive history, the name is the God of Israel. We think of the nation. But it's more personal for Jacob because that's him. He's yeah. Israel. Yeah. Um, the nation of Israel is not yet a nation state. It is a man with that name and yeah. his family. Exactly. So. Yeah, that's a really good point to make here as well because he does give it that covenant name, that remembrance again of what he has gone through with in. In, in the most part, I'm, I'm going to say like 90% because he's gone a long way, but he hasn't done the full 100. But he has recognized again that he is in covenant relationship with God and God has kept his word mm-hmm. that he would bring him back and bless him. And he would come back to the land where he was that he first came from. Mm-hmm. Just for whatever reason, I, I still don't understand Jacob's hesitation with just making the full journey back. Yeah. It's wonderful that he does purchase another piece mm-hmm. of the land of Canaan. Mm-hmm. But there's still that little bit of Jacob left in him 
I think one of the commentators said, there's a lot of Israel in them, but there's still a lot of Jacob too. Yeah. And that's really showing itself in exactly what Jacob's doing. He's making, he's rebuilding that altar and proclaiming that God is his God. Upholding the promises that he made and that kind of deal, that bargain that he made with God. But there's still that part of Jacob in him that's hesitant mm -hmm. to go the full measure. And and I mean, that's very common with a lot of people, that's right? It's true of us. It's right? true of us because how yeah. many times in our own lives do we still have those times of hesitancy or times of doubt where we're like, well, God surely can't mean this is what he means. Yeah. Or so, times of outright treasonous, yeah. you know, rebellious sin, you know, whatever it may be. We are much more like Lot's wife <laughs> or Jacob than, yeah. than we are of Israel of and our Christian, you know, identity. And that's the big thing that we should take from this story as well. We, we should never set up these characters as the heroes that we're supposed to mirror and idolize. Because they all fall short. And this is that's yeah. the one reason why I Genesis love... Genesis should create a longing in it. Yeah, and it should because every single time we're thinking, okay, where's this promised seed coming that's going to crush the head of the serpent? Okay, well, it's not Abraham or it wasn't Noah. You know, it wasn't Abraham. It's not Isaac. Well, it's not Jacob now either. Well, maybe it's going to be one of his sons. Well, eventually it is going to be one of his sons, but it's going to be in another 15, 1600 years. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. Far the, removed from, from this time. Yeah, yeah. But it's in that promised offspring that we are to hope because that offspring, which is Christ perfectly fulfilled the law, never sinned once. And he came to do what the promise was in Genesis three fifteen, which was to crush the head of the serpent who, which by his crushing of him would bruise his heel. Right that temporary blow as Christ goes to the cross and suffers under the wrath of God, where Satan thinks he has a victory over him finally, mm -hmm. but he's resurrected from the dead three days later and ascends to the right hand of God in glory and is coming again. And that's the wonderful thing about all of scripture that it's all leading us through this beautiful port painting to get us to Christ and the full unification of all his blessings and covenant that he's taken place from this point and bringing us through to that point we'll be finally glorified when our resurrected bodies no more sin no more suffering complete bliss and joy living with and worshiping the god who saved us for all eternity mm -hmm. yeah certainly these accounts must create a longing in us to see the return of the good shepherd, the yeah. Lord Jesus Christ to, to, to see a return of the great servant leader, right. To experience God face to face that though we were once at enmity with him, we have experienced his great mercy with us. Mm -hmm. That should create a longing for us and a, and a deeper love in us for the day that we will meet God face to face yeah. through the work and person of Jesus Christ. Um, that is the beautiful picture of the gospel. Once again, hidden in the old Testament concealed 
and in the person of Christ truly revealed for us. And that's the beauty of being able to go through the book of Genesis is it screams at us. We need a savior. And the what does the Bible show us? That we have a savior, a perfect savior in Christ. And yeah. that's, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to mirror exegetical walking through the verse of scripture ver, or the, the passage of scripture verse by verse, but then also zooming out to see how this fits into the grand scope of redemptive history exactly. and what that tells us about this verse. Right. Yeah. Um, it is a good biblical hermeneutic. That's what Christ gave his <laughs> disciples yeah. on the road of Emmaus and in that uh, backroom meeting. So I'm going to uh, feel very comfortable looking at the Old Testament through the lens of the new. So that's what we're trying to do. We hope you enjoy it. We hope you would share it with your friends. Maybe they could use some encouragement or, um, you know, so many churches have been closed. So many people have been cut off from, you know, hearing the word of God, um, being a part of, you know, the ministry of the word being a part of Bible studies. And I know a lot of people are hurting and they they need that sort of thing in their life. So we that's why we do this podcast. We hope to be a resource for you and your loved ones and whoever you uh, know that could use it. And um, it never hurts to be able to see Christ shine forward mm-hmm. in even an obscure story like the meeting of Esau and Jacob. Um, so please do share it. Uh, thegreatexchange.ca. We have a ton of episodes over there. We have some merchandise. Do yourself a favor. Go check that out. You can also find on the page a player where you can listen to those website or listen to those episodes. Pardon me, and then also find the various podcast catchers if you want to subscribe, rate, and review as well. But that does it for us today. Unless if you have anything to say on the way of uh, conclusion there, Nick? I do not. Okay, awesome. Well, that will wrap up this podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. We hope you were edified by the content. But as we say at the end of every podcast, Nick, it is finished.